as a, as a light that God is shining on to, to show his glory and show what he can do through someone. And the beautiful thing about testimonies is all of them seem to be different. It's just like looking at, at leaves or anything in nature. You never see two exactly alike. And it just as amazes me how God saves everybody in some sort. It's like the same way, but everybody has different little details and pieces of how he saves somebody. So I hope to show you how God saved me tonight in my testimony. Okay. Let me pray before I start. Father, first of all, I thank you so much that, Lord, you have saved me. And not because of anything in me, but just your love and grace and great mercy to someone who deserved hell, to someone who wasn't looking for you, Lord. But like that lost sheep that goes away, Lord, you, you forsake the 99 and you go out and you find them like the man who was blind, but now he can see, Lord. I pray that you would help me tell the story of what you've done in my life and that you would get the glory. Lord, if there's some here that have been thinking some of the same thoughts, Lord, Lord, that you might use this to convict them, uh, to, to show them how to seek out you, that you might save, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit would move among the people, convict them of their sins and of your righteousness. Help us to see Christ in these words, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I was born in... Brother, yeah. sorry, can you fix the mic and put it more closer to you? I can try. Is that better or no? Why don't you come up here and do it for me, brother? Hopefully I can. How about now? The better? How about now? Is that better? Okay. I'll try to speak a little louder, too. Thank you, brother. It ain't going to do me a whole lot of good to tell my testimony. Nobody hears it. So, I was born in North Carolina, Broadway, North Carolina, in 1950, May 10th. And Broadway, North Carolina is a little bit smaller than Broadway, New York. It's about 200 people instead of 2 million. So that was where I was born. And I grew up poor. My whole family was poor. We lived on a farm, and we had uh, lots of uh, land to play on. And, and I really thought it was all ours, but we were actually sharecroppers. We were just the laborers on the land and lived in a little rent house. But God used that. And while we were poor, I never, never knew I was poor. While we was poor, I never knew that uh, I was doing without things. And God always seemed to be blessing our family. I come, uh, come from a family of 10 children. I'm the oldest. I had five brothers, four brothers and five sisters. There were 10 of us in all. My father was an alcoholic, and I mean a bad alcoholic. If he took a drink of beer, he had to drink till he got dead drunk, spent all his money, and two or three days later, he'd come back. And, but my mother was a Christian, and she was uh, a Methodist. That's how she grew up. But I believe she knew the Lord. She loved the Lord. And I remember many times uh, just hearing her humming Amazing Grace 
and, and many times during uh, trials and stuff, she would, my father would get drunk and he would beat her and he would threaten us, but he never really hurt us, but he did hurt her. And I was growing up, there's a lot of turmoil being the oldest child and wanting to take up for my mother, but not willing to fight my father. And it was, it was hard. But my father loved me, my mother loved me, and our children, our siblings, we all loved each other. We had a very loving family. But once my father got drunk, then it, it didn't show, but, but he did love me. And he would, the next day he would be in remorse and apologizing, and, but it didn't matter, it happened again. But that was the environment I, I lived up in, was raised up in. So when I was 12 years old, I was at my grandmother's house. Now my grandmother, she had 12 girls. She didn't have 10 like us, she had 12, and they were all girls. And so there was a lot of aunts up there to take care of us and look after us. And we would go up and spend the night on Saturday night, and then we'd go to church with them on Sunday morning. And my mother was glad to get to go to church, but my dad didn't always let her go to church. And so this one Sunday, we went into church, and I was 12, and they played a uh, invitation song, and it was Just As I Am. And I still remember the Lord just as I am without one plea. And, and my heart was, I felt something, but I think it was that I wanted to please my grandmother. I knew my grandmother and grandfather wanted me to go forward, and so I did. They set me down in the front row, told me I was now a Christian, I would be signing the book, sign my name, and that was it. Now, whenever I went home, my grandfather was a walking salesman. That means that he sold flavors and clothes, and most of all, he served, he sold great big candy bars. He had Zag Nuts and Paydays and Zeros and Milky Ways and all those. And after church, he would take us in the back and he would give us, he would cut up a big candy bar and give us a little piece like that. And then he would go and take a nap. But he left all those candy bars out there on the table. And so we would go in there and we'd get one or two of those big ones each. And then we would crawl under the house and eat them there. And after I had made that profession of faith, I did that that day as well. And as I was under the house and I was eating that candy bar and I was thinking, well, Nothing's changed. I don't feel any problem with this. Obviously, I'm not a Christian. And I thought to myself, I'm never, I'm never going to have anything to do with church anymore until I can be serious about it. I don't want to be a hypocrite like all those other people. And so that was my determination. I was not going to have anything to do with Christianity until I got serious about it. I did believe in God. I believed in Jesus. I mean, knowing about him, I had some knowledge but very little knowledge, almost no doctrine. So that was, that was my first profession. And I kept my promise not to have anything to do with Christianity unless I was serious until I got to be 38 years old. But don't let that word be serious about it. That's code word till I was ready, till I wanted to give my life to Christ. 
I didn't want to do it until I got serious. I didn't want to be a hypocrite. No, I didn't want to do it until I wanted to because I wanted to have my fun and live my life, and then I was going to come to the Lord. That was my idea. That was my mindset. Well, I joined the Army when I was 17 years old. I quit school and I wanted to be an airborne ranger. I listed for an extra year to do that so I can go to Vietnam, fight Viet Cong. I saw a lot of John, John Wayne movies and, and I could shoot a pistol and a rifle and throw knives and I was raised in the backwoods and I thought I'd be pretty handy if I got into combat. And so that was my desire. But somehow God, by his grace, Whenever I took the aptitude test in the Army, it showed that I have an aptitude for electronics. So they sent me to computer school. Now this is 1967 computer school, whenever computers are about the size of a house. They've changed a lot since then. But the basic way they work still is the same. So because they sent me to computer school. I didn't have a choice. I, could, I couldn't say, I'm going to go to join the Airborne. I'm, I already enlisted. They said, well, you're going to go to the electronic school, the computer school first, and then if you still want to go, then we'll take and sign a waiver and you can go to Airborne. And so I did uh, finish the school. During this time, it was about six months. There was a lot of people going to Vietnam, and a lot of people that was in my unit and I could see them coming back and forth, and I could see what they looked like before, and I could see what they looked like after. And I could tell it was rough over there, and people were being killed, and people were, their minds were being messed up. It was, it was rough. And whenever it came, I finished my school, they said, well, we got another school for you that's really going to, if you take this school, it's going to really help you when you get out of school to find a job. And you can either take you can either do that or you can go to the airborne training you enlisted for. By then, I felt like I had enough sense that maybe that weren't the best choice. So I went to school. And from then on, it was more schools and more electronics. And I ended up staying in the, in the service about five years, nine months, 27 days. Now, when I was 19 years old, I married a, a, a girl from El Paso. And she was, she was still in high school. She was 16. And we later on had a, a son. When I was 20 years old, I had a son. And his name was Robert. He was born premature. He was six months. Uh, he was three months premature. He weighed three pounds, four and a half ounces. And he was in the Army hospital. And back then, you didn't have anything to monitor babies. You just had nurses that walked around to make sure they were breathing and everything. Well, they had walked around him, and then one day they walked around, and he was blue. And so they gave him mouth to mouth. They got him back, and uh, we thought everything was okay. We found out later he had brain damage, and it affected his motor skills on the left-hand side, so he would never be able to walk. As far as his mind, his mind was fine. Uh, he could speak well. Um, he, he thought just fine. Everything was good, except he couldn't do things with left side, and he couldn't walk. And so I was 19 years old. Um, I didn't know how to raise a child, much less a handicapped child. 
so I didn't turn out to be a very good father and um, nor a very good husband. And I kind of threw myself into the military and trying to make grades and, and rise up in the rank and to get money and support my family, those kind of things. I let my wife take care of dealing with uh, Robert mostly. Now, I would do things with him. I loved him, but I just wasn't a good parent when it came to that and didn't really know what I could do or should do. Um, when I was 20 years old, um, let's see, he was born, okay. 22 years old, I had another son that was born. His name was Christopher James Womack. I was in uh, Korea when he was born. He, he lived three days. I didn't get to see him. I got to come back for the funeral. And when I came back, they um, they went ahead and discharged me or said, kept me over on the stateside, and I didn't have to go back to Korea. So when I was 23 years old, I left. I left the Army, and I went away to a technical school in North Carolina. I took my young wife and my Robert, my young son, and so we lived over there in the country with my family, and we went to some technical schools. First technical school was electrical, and um, I finished that. I was working second shift full-time and going to school to support my family. And then after that, um, I had a little stint doing electrical work and thought I was going to be an electrician, Jonathan. But uh, the first job I had was working with my uncle, and he had me toting four-inch pipe out of a hole for a week straight just to see if I was serious about being an electrician. I wasn't. <laughs> he, went, he lived in uh, South Carolina, and I ended up driving back to North Carolina and decided I'd take another school, electronic school. So then I got into electronics. And from electronics, that got me into computers again. And from computers, I was transferred. I had a job offer in some weird place called Corpus Christi, Texas. And I remember we packed all our stuff up. We drove down. We was going down Shoreline. I was looking out the bay. I come by uh, Canamar Apartments is what it was called then. And I saw this guy on his little kick float, and he was fishing. And he pulled a trout. It looked like it was that big. I said, stop. We're going to live at that place, whatever place that was. And so we rented an apartment there, and that's where it started. And so life went on. Worked here for a computer company. And then um, when I was 32 years old, I, I got a divorce after 13 years of marriage. We just, it, it weren't working for us. Neither one of us are Christians. And um, so we got a divorce. And, and, and it wasn't, I wouldn't say, I'd say it's mostly my fault, not hers. But we did get a divorce. But after the divorce, I was, I was determined, I, I knew something was wrong. My life was not going the right way. I determined I was going to improve myself, that I never wanted to get married again until I was fixed. And uh, so I started, my, my, big, my big problem uh, growing up was being afraid to speak in public. And I remember the first time that I spoke in public at a church I had a set of keys like this, and they wanted me to give my testimony. And I had made a, a, a really, I told the Lord, said, Lord, I'm going to give my testimony for you. I'm going to speak anytime you want me to speak. 
and I'll probably shake and I'll turn red and maybe pass out, but I'm gonna start if you'll just be there with me. And I kept to that, but the first time I did, I had my keys in my pocket and my leg was shaking so much you could hear it. It sounded like jingle bells back here. My wife finally said, hey, get rid of the keys. <laughs> so I had it bad and I would turn blood red. I mean red, just like I, oh, it was, it was terrible. And yet, there I was in front of a church. So I, I started taking uh, courses. I, I, back then, they had something called Dale Carnegie course. And it was, uh, it was public speaking. It was how to get along with people, how to make friends and influence people is the book that he sold. It was really good. And, uh, and, and a lot of people that are, were professional people, the lawyers and stuff like that, they would go to it uh, for leadership. And so I went to it and uh, I learned a lot and I, I made my speeches. Your biggest speech was five minutes and that, that was, it seemed like it took forever. But uh, we got through it and then I said, well, I'm gonna join Toastmasters. And then I realized to be good at public speaking, I need to do it more than once a week. So I joined like three different Toastmasters. So I was giving speech at Toastmasters in Corpus just about every week. And, uh, and then there was this course called uh, the Born to Win course. It was by somebody by the name of Dale Carnegie, not Dale Carnegie, I'm sorry. Uh, Born to Win, oh, it'll come to me in a minute. Anyway. This seminar was all about uh, how to be successful in life. But the guy was a Christian. And he said in that seminar, he said, for you to truly be successful, for you truly to be happy with yourself, you have to make peace with your maker. And he said, my maker is Jesus Christ. And I made peace with him on the cross. And he kind of gave the gospel there. And I wasn't a believer at the time, but it kind of made sense that I never was happy and there was some kind of a deal going on there. So I always remembered him saying that. And he had a Sunday school class at First Baptist Church in Dallas. And he took everybody that was in the Born to Win course to that church. And there was about 500 of us show up for the Sunday school class. Can you imagine that? 500 people in the bus. And uh, anyway, of course, he he taught it, but it, it was a good course. Anyway, so I graduated from that, and uh, I got to speak in, in front of 500 people at that dinner they had. So that was, that was a big thing for me. So I thought everything was going good. I could now speak in public. I was making money. I lived in a house. I had a swimming pool. I had a car, and uh, I was single. I, I, was, I was happy with myself, happy with the situation. And during this time, I did a lot of traveling, driving back and forth, because uh, I serviced all the Holidays Inns and uh, Hilton's and all the different hotels, their computers, all throughout Texas. I'd be up in uh, Brownwood one day, and I'd be down in South Padre Island the next day. And so I got to do a lot of driving in my car, and I started listening out of boredom, I think, Christian radio, talk radio. Somehow it went from talk radio to Christian radio. And it was the Lord 
Lord showing me some things. And there's this uh, pastor at South Crest Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, and you know they had a 50,000 watt uh, radio station here. What do they call that one, the Christian one here? It's still here. Anybody remember it? Know it? AM station? Nobody? KTCA? Yep, KTCA. Yeah. Or KCTA. It's one of those. Yeah. So anyway, this pastor was on there, and he had, to, he had a show called Practical Christianity. And uh, he would teach just basic, uh, basic sermons about basic Christianity. It wasn't deep at all. But I found myself listening to that. And I tell you that to bring back that situation I'm going to go into here in just a minute. Because that's important. Now my son at this time was about 13 years old. He was still in the wheelchair, of course. He was, he was lonely. Um, he, was, he stayed to himself a lot. He started listening to uh, heavy metal. It started off easy, kiss, and things like that. And then uh, he got into heavy metal, and he was doing Ouija boards and witchcraft and stuff, which to me, I was, you know, I was lost. So I didn't think there was anything to Ouija boards or witchcraft. It was all just stuff. And so I didn't think there was anything really wrong with it. It's just, you know, one of those things. And, but he kept going into that more and more. Well, I was perfectly content with my life and, and what was going on. But then the Lord got my attention. I had been improving not only with the mental things and, and public speaking and things like that and education, but also I had taken up running. And so I had got up to where I was doing marathons and I was in really good shape. And I remember, I think I weighed like 163 and I was doing like six minute miles. And I was, I was in really good shape. And I remember seeing the preachers on the, on, you know, you always see the, when they do the movies and stuff, they show the preacher, you know, and he'd weigh about 350 pounds and the family had invited him over to eat and they'd lay out all this chicken and he was doing the chicken like this and the, eating the pie and all that stuff and the biscuits and I was like, man, I can't believe it. This guy is supposed to be a servant of the Lord. He's supposed to be disciplined and look what he's doing to himself. I said, he can't control his appetite, how's he gonna control the other appetites you have? And I was thinking, I don't ever wanna be like that if I do become a Christian. Of course, you know what happened, right? I came Christian and I did gain weight. <laughs> and I was that guy for a while. <laughs> but what happened to me was my son, <clears throat> I w uh, so in the divorce, I would have him every other weekend and then I have him during the week, but this was a weekend that he was at his mom's. And uh, I got a phone call from his best friend. And uh, because we're in mixed company, I can't go too much details. But he said, I'm over here at this house and we're doing something really bad, really sinful. And 
because Robert's handicapped, he can't participate with us, but he is cheerleading us on and educating us. He just go for it. And I don't know what it was about that time, but uh, and this is a time you don't have caller ID. They didn't have caller ID back then. And then he just hung up the phone. So I don't know where he called from. I don't have no way to get in touch with him. I'm just sitting there. And I remember I just fell on my knees before the Lord. I said, Lord, I've been working so hard to make myself good and make my child good. And that's my pride and that's my joy and that's all my hopes were here. And Lord, I am not good. And he is not good. And we are not good. And I've totally failed as a father, as a person. And I said, I know that your word says if I would take and ask you to forgive me my sins, you would. That if I give my life to you, that you would take my life. I said, Lord, I have, I give you my life. I give up, I give in. Please take control. Take my life. You take it. You can't possibly do worse than I did. It's yours. And it wasn't nuts. It wasn't much more than that, guys. And uh, so then I called his mother and I said, "Look, uh, I just got a call from Robert's friend, and he said this." And she says, "Wait just a minute. That sounds kind of weird. I don't think that's true." And she goes back and she looks in Robert's room and she sees him in there. He's just playing music. And so we find out that his best friend and him got in a fight and he wanted to do whatever he could to get back at Robert. And so he told me that lie, so I'd be mad at Robert. And that's what it was, it was a lie. So I went to bed that night and then I woke up the next morning. I had my parrot in the bed with me. I sleep with a parrot. So the parrot was in the bed, and he was crawling around the, the back, the footboard. And I didn't know what was going on then. I realized it was him. And then I got up, and it was like I had this peace. I didn't know what it was. And then I remember my conversation with the Lord. And I was thinking, he, I think he saved me. And he just changed my world upside down. Before this, I was for abortion. A week later, I was in front of a picket line against abortion. And I didn't want to have anything to do with church. Church was the place I didn't want to go of all the places. You couldn't get me in one of these places. And that was where I got saved on Thursday night. I was giving my testimony in front of a church that I'd never even been to that Sunday morning at Baptist Church telling what the Lord had done for me. And I had talked to my girlfriend into going to the church with me. I needed some moral support and she agreed. And uh, it was scary, but she came, and she didn't believe me. She didn't believe I really got saved, and uh, but eventually she did. Her name is Araya. Ended up marrying her. I married her after after I realized that what I was missing in my life 
the success I needed was not my success, but my giving in, my surrender, total surrender to Jesus Christ and him to take control of my life. And a month after I got saved, I married her because I knew that's what I wanted. And I knew that's what the Lord wanted. And that was 33 years ago, roughly. And God has been very gracious to us. And it's been a, <laughs> it's been a wonderful experience. I remember telling my brother, I was, of course, afterwards I, I went and witnessed to everybody. I w went to my, the church I was at, I mean not the church, but I went to the work that I've been working at for like 13 years, and uh, I told everybody in there about Christ. And uh, these were my drinking buddies. I mean, just that week they were my drinking buddies. I mean, we had, it was that, and I thought, well, they're, they're obviously they're gonna just come to Christ, because who wouldn't? If you knew what I knew, you'd come. But they didn't know what I knew. And they didn't come, but they did leave me. <laughs> and which ended up being a good thing, the mercy of the Lord. But then he gave me new friends and a new family and a new location to hang out. And so God has been so good to me. I'd like to say that my son, who ended up getting in um, Satanism, is saved and that he saw the beauty of that testimony. And uh, it was just recently he realized that he was one of the things that you, the Lord used to point me to Christ. And uh, so pray for him. I've told you all many times, my hope is not in him turning to Christ, but in Christ coming to him. And meet him face to face like he met me, where it be with circumstances or whatever it is. It's not too hard for God. But uh, my view of Christ before God was whenever I'm ready. Um, whenever, I'm, whenever I want to, because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to make a false profession and be ashamed of it. But when the Lord meets you face to face and you cry out for mercy, he is faithful. And he was faithful and has been faithful to me. I, I'm the least when it comes around sinners. I think uh, I don't know that I've killed Christians, but I've done some bad things. And, and Christ has given me such beautiful life and beautiful people. And, and I'm just grateful to be a Christian and happy, excited. Aren't you excited about being a Christian? Isn't a Christian the greatest thing in the world? Could you go up and tell your brother, hey, if you come to Christ and try to explain to him how wonderful it is, have you ever tried to do that? It's impossible. It's like trying to show people what heaven looks like without being there. Being a Christian is it, the only regret anybody has that I know of that's a Christian is they wish they could have been a Christian earlier. I was 38 years old. I wish. But the main thing is, are you a Christian now? Do you believe in him now? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that you deserve hell, that you should be rightfully in hell, and yet there is a way if you turn to Christ? If you will give up and give in your life, turn it over to him and ask him to save you, he will. He said, all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's in the book. The Bible don't lie.
but we had it ain't like call it ain't like the, the demons would call out to the Lord the demons believed in God and they trembled but there's a difference God didn't God didn't die for the demons he died for those who would call upon his name those who would obey his commands he died for them See if I got anything. I don't want to babble on, right, Jonathan? <laughs> uh, oh, just one more thing. We we had a uh, later on. So Araya was married, and she had Michael about the same time I was married, and have Robert, and so that was her only son, and Robert was my only son. Well, later on, a few years later, we had Jessica, and that was our only daughter. So um, we named her Jessica Joy, and it's so true. She was the joy of our life. God had given us another one that we could raise. This time we were Christians when we raised her up. Um, so he's been very good to us, very kind. He's been kind putting us in this church and putting us with people we love and love to serve and we certainly want to see more people to come to Christ we want to see, I want to see more testimonies and, and maybe maybe the Lord will give us some this year we still got time amen alright well I'm going to anybody got any questions or comments anything you want to add before we go okay Jonathan did you come in around the same time I did about <laughs> 2014 what uh, church year you know, I, I don't know for sure. I think maybe 2000. We came back from, from when I had the heart attack in 2012 over here. And I think maybe it was a year or so before I got here. But I think it was close. Mark could tell you. <laughs> Did yeah, we went to the Bacham's house. Were you at the Bacham's house? Jonathan? Maybe one time. Okay. Well, I hadn't been many times, but I did go over there. Yeah. Amen. All right. Anybody else? Zig Ziglar. Yes. He was a positive thinker. He claimed to be a Christian. I believe he probably was a Christian. But uh, he, he. Now, there's some other positive thinkers that ain't Christian. They're not even close. But you'd have to hear his testimony and and spend some time with him. But. Uh, he made an influence on me and showing me that you really do to, to truly be successful, you have to make peace. And rather, truly to be happy, you have to make peace with your Creator. All our Creator is Jesus Christ, and we have to make peace with Him and only Him, by the Father to Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Good. Okay. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for so great a salvation. Thank you for saving me and, and members of my family. Lord, I, I do pray for all those who are lost, all those who don't know you, Lord, all those who will not trust you with their lives, all those who want to do their own thing, and then they'll just check with you toward the end, Lord. It doesn't work that way. Lord, we don't know how much longer we have here on this earth for 
when we might check out, Lord, I, I just pray that the people would see the urgency of knowing Christ before it's too late, that we would lose none in this church who would be lost and go to hell. Oh, Lord, have mercy on the people here. Have mercy on the homeless, the people under the bridge. Only you can save them, Lord. Only you can change their heart and their mind. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to help us tonight and throughout the week. We do thank you for this time, Lord. And, and Lord, I, I forgot to say it, but the greatest thing about being a Christian is our best days are coming. And we get to spend all of it with you and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We just thank you and look forward to Christ's return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.